Welcome to Coffee Con Trails. Today's story is Reunion, narrated and written by David Pirinelli. Interstellar Dynamics Mining Station Geo 8 floated alone in a dark corner of space. The cold, metallic planetoid got named TA 403 two centuries previous when a lost patrol ship stumbled upon it. The station's 7,000 inhabitants eked out a meager living burrowing deep into the ancient rocks beneath them. It was a grim life, but in 2345, most ways of life were pretty grim. A variety of lights emanated from the mining colony and meekly pierced the overpowering darkness. Man's presence was dwarfed by the bulk of the planetoid. Six sparse buildings were grouped around a central core and connected by windowed hallways. Patched together and repaired with different bits of metal over the years, they'd plainly been there a while. Interstellar Dynamics, the corporate overlords, set up lights between the buildings, illuminating the various mine entrances. As they were 300 solar units from the nearest star, these were sorely needed. Interstellar Dynamics controlled 90% of interstellar mining, and thus 90% of interstellar miners. They also made the laws governing those miners, ever since the International Supreme Courts ruled that Earth could not impose or enforce laws past the Moon's orbit in 2137. This was of course a massive win for Interstellar Dynamics, whose profits doubled within five years. And while it was easy to read these numbers in the shareholders' briefs, the vastly increased injuries and deaths appeared nowhere, but in the secret memos bouncing amongst the leadership. These were judged as acceptable losses against higher profits in the cost-benefits analysis. Activity at the mine had picked up in the last few months. Surprises from a new, deeper shaft had been the occasion of extra visits from excited corporate scientists and executives. Rumor had it that they had discovered some of the newer additions to the periodic table in that mysterious shaft. Due to the arcane rules governing mining, there was a chance that everyone's pay would go up if this turned out to be true. Bigger share for the working stiffs, perhaps. Hence, there was little else to talk about but what happened in those mysterious shafts. The security office was a room of shiny surveillance electronics distributed at several neat and tidy workstations. Soft, indirect lighting kept everything calm and focused. Numbers, letters, and images floated in front of Chief Ilyana Vache. Trim and in her early thirties, her blue eyes zipped across the various feeds, absorbing the information with ease and competence. Her assistant, Sergeant Greg Wrightson, played with a ring that should have been on his finger, bored out of his skull. He tried to pay attention to the live feeds and dropped the ring. The sound of it bouncing and rolling on the floor distracted and annoyed Ilyana. Either the ring stays on or I cut the finger off. Sorry, boss. Embarrassed, Greg grabbed the errant piece of jewelry from the floor and put it back on. She flipped a butterfly knife around for emphasis, the tiniest of grins visible. Ilyana and Greg watched as a live feed floated in front of them. Men and women went about their business, unaware they were being monitored. Miners operated machinery ripping through vast walls of rock deep below. Others ran massive grinders shredding the rocks into gravel. Another group levitated and sorted elements based on their atomic weights, floating them into voracious smelters. A blue light flashed. Ilyana waved her hand over the panel. 
A 3D image of her second in command, Marcus Warster, appeared. He whispered discreetly. The target has arrived. Ilyana snapped upright. Excellent. On my way. Return to base. Sure. Two is better than one. Thanks, but I can handle this one myself. She'd been waiting for this. She gathered her things. Keep an eye on the screens. Let me know if the incidents worsen. Ilyana directed to Greg. He sheepishly snapped forward and stared at his screens intently as she ran out. Ilyana brought her hand up and banged hard on the door. She waited a few seconds and banged again. Andrea Kozowski, this is Security Chief Vache. Open this door now. There was a brief pause, then the door opened to reveal a raven mid-twenties beauty. Soft and sexy music played from a hidden source. She blocked the entrance, excited and anxious. Behind her laid a fairly drab standard cubicle. Silk scarf was thrown over a harsh light to give some atmosphere. Everything else screamed basic blah. Chief Fetch, I, uh, can I help you? Mandatory security inspection, executive order 55-12A. I just need a minute. Ileana burst past her into the room. Whimsical stuffed animals interspersed with images of exotic places defined the room as belonging to a young woman with dreams. Her bland uniform and basic furnishings revealed that she hadn't reached them yet. Ilyana surveyed personal items on a shelf, a bright green fluorescent jacket, a standard sleep cubicle, and a small closet. Curtains framed a window. Outside showed a peaceful clearing in a woods. Light rolling ripple gave away the electronic wizardry behind this. Ilyana grabbed a freshly opened bottle of wine from the table. This Shiraz is over 30 years old, older than you, in fact. Awfully expensive for a third-year environmental engineer. Care to explain? Andrea hunted for an answer. It's fake. Cheap stuff with a nice label. Bemused, Ilyana grabbed the uncapped bottle. She dumped some into a glass and tasted it. You're right. It's shit. Tense stare held between them for a moment. Then a burst of laughter. They dropped the act and fell into each other's arms, happy. Andrea poured them each a glass. They sipped giddily. Andrea held hers up for a toast. Happy first anniversary, beautiful. But you got here early. I haven't even wrapped your present yet. Ilyana gave her a playful smile. Give me one second. She moved a hand over her comm unit, pulled up the video feeds from the room they were in, and waved to one of the hidden cameras, then shut them all off and dropped her comm unit in her pocket. Okay, I'd rather start with unwrapping. To unwrapping! She purred as she released the electronic catches on her uniform. It dropped to the floor like a deciduous leaf in one of the old Earth videos. Andrea held her glass up again. They toasted, then set the glasses down and kissed passionately. The embrace built until a beeping from the pile of clothes on the floor interrupted them. Annoyed, Ilyana pulled away and reached for her wrist comm unit saw that it was Marcus. Truly peeved, she answered. This better be good. Marcus sat at Ilyana's desk where he and Greg grimly faced a variety of animated images. Red lights flashed and screaming could be heard. Marcus took another look at the displays in front of him. Sorry, Chief. We've got an incident in Sector B2. A 
3D video projection of Ilyana appeared in front of them. She straightened her hair quickly. Incident? You interrupted me for a bar fight? Behind Marcus, Greg shook his head. Scratch that. Multiple incidents. It's out of control. We just had Station GO8's first homicide. Ilyana finished dressing. Show me. Her wrist unit projected a feed. She and Andrea watched someone fall hundreds of meters into a chasm, screaming all the way down. Have all on-duty security staff meet me there in five minutes. On my way. She swiped the comm off brusquely. A radically different mood descended on the room. Ilyana reassembled her uniform in haste, her smile just a memory now. She snapped a plasma pistol out of her ankle holster, held it out to Andrea. Take this. Andrea hesitated, scared. I don't know how to. Ilyana chugged what was left of her wine, flipped off the safety and pushed the gun into Andrea's hand. Pointed at a problem, pull the trigger, no more problem. No time for pleasantries anymore. Andrea nodded silently, scared, and took the gun. They kissed again, a different kind of kiss. At the door, Ilyana turned. I love you. I'll see you soon. She pulled her larger plasma gun out and checked the charge remaining indicator. Andrea wanted to stop her, wanted another minute like before. Do you promise? Eliana winced, unhappy to be backed into a corner. Yes. She holstered her gun and opened the door. Andrea barely had time to answer before she was gone. I love you too. A tattered ship, the Cogburn, made its way through the inky blackness of space near the station. The freighter was dented, some panels newer than others. Mismatched colors and ugly stains completed the space-weary patina. Worn and dirty are the words that best describe the cockpit of the interstellar dynamics supply ship Cogburn. Some of the control lights didn't shine as brightly as others. Two centuries of technological progress hadn't changed the look of duct tape which held several parts of the interior together. Seated in their grease-soaked control seats, Steve Tokars operated the ship while Vic Adney took a nap. Both in their twenties, yet very bored, Tokars had won the genetics lottery. His lanky frame exuded competence, whilst Adney's close-set eyes gave him the look of a rat. A light flashed in front of Adney, who kept snoring. Hey, wake up, asshole. Incoming. Tokars belted out. Adney continued sleeping, so Tokar snapped a restraint over himself, flipped the cockpit gravity control to off. Adney slowly floated up out of his seat. When he was a few inches above it, Tokars flipped the gravity back to on. Adney crashed down hard. What? What was that for? Tokars pointed to the flashing light. Incoming transmission. Answer it. Adney tapped a control. An image appeared in front of them. It was Frida, the communications officer at Base GO8, their next stop. The, 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 the children aren't listening. She was terrified, with people running, <laughs> screaming, and fighting behind her. She had a strangely intense look. Tokars and Adney looked at each other, befuddled. Adney checked a calendar. Nope, not Christmas yet. 
Not a holiday party, Runamok, he stated. He tried to get through to the addled woman. Frida, it's, it's me, Adney. On the Cogburn, what children? What are you talking about? She looked off to the side. Fear overtook her face. No. No. No, please, please. Dear God, no! She screamed. There was a dark flash. Transmission broke up into static. Tokars leaned in, tapped some buttons, confused. Their navigation beacon is down. That's not supposed to happen. Adney considered this. Let's keep going. Right on to Geo 9. We don't need any part of whatever clusterfuck that is. We'll send an interstellar link from their alerting their company. Tokar shook his head, annoyed. Upping velocity to 100, on course to heading B47-09, mining base G08. Adney sighed loudly. The Cogburn landed at Mining Base G08 Spaceport. It was thrashed but functional. 100 meters of empty ports, most damaged and left unused for years. The grimy dock area was functional at best. This was the service end of things, nothing new or shiny here. The loading port at the back of the Cogburn opened. Tokars and Adney entered the deserted dock. Dark halls with flickering lights led off into the station. They stepped forward cautiously. Hey, uh, Vindley? Anyone? Tokars called out. Adney grabbed a plasma fueling hose, fumbled with the connector, and snapped it onto the ship. I'm going to refuel her. Let's say we'd stop playing space cops and just head right back out. A tiny drop of the plasma fuel leaked out of the battered nozzle and burst into flames before it reached the floor. Tokars watched. Adney met his gaze and tried to stomp the flames out with his boot. Annoyed, Tokar shook his head. Be more careful! Basic nuclear chemistry. Liquid plasma and oxygen don't mix. Come on. Let's head to Ops. Right. Above them, Interstellar Dynamics recruitment videos played in an endless loop on a cracked panel. In the distance, emergency klaxons blared from somewhere deep in the station. Adney picked up a steel bar, held its weight in his hands, and swung it like a weapon. I'll ascertain it for you right here and now. Something here's gone seriously south. It isn't our problem unless we make it our problem. He jerked his thumb back toward the cogburn impatiently. As they stepped forward, they were surprised by crackling sounds broken glass underfoot. Adney picked up some of the glass. Nice carpeting. Tokar's motion to a nearby crew quarters window smashed from the inside. They peered in cautiously, a cabin in disheveled chaos with a dark and dripping handprint on the doorframe. Adney looked carefully at the handprint. Is that wet blood? Tokar's examined it. Looks like it. Or someone took a finger painting. I'll try to contact operations from here. He walked to the terminal and waved his hands to activate it. No response. After a few more unanswered gestures, he gave up and accessed the terminal with the keyboard. 
No one's answering. All the escape pods launched, no record of where they went or who was on board. Adney smiled, relieved. So problem solved. Everyone bailed for whatever reason. Back to the Cogburn? Tokar shook his head. The blood is wet. He started walking again. Adney didn't move. Someone nearby is injured. They may need help. Some poor bastard cut his hand on that broken glass, then went to medical to get patched up. Mystery solved. Let's go. Tokar stopped. He'd finally realized the depth of Adney's cowardice. You'd just zip off to G09, blissfully drop off a few pallets of TP, and forget this ever happened, wouldn't you? Adney started to form a response, but something over Tokar's shoulder got his attention. Can't even make eye contact. Tokar's continued, disgusted. Adney reached his arms out and swiveled Tokar's around, aiming him out the exterior window. Or maybe I was watching that guy. One of the miners waved frantically to them from a parallel hallway. His mouth opened and closed rapidly. He had a crazed expression and moved in jerky fits. Tokars was momentarily relieved. Great, we found somebody. What's he trying to tell us? Adney shook his head skeptically. A much better question is, why doesn't he realize we can't hear him? The man got more and more desperate, beat on the window, hard. His blood smeared the glass. Tokars couldn't believe it. What the heck? He's gonna hurt himself. The man picked up a mining hammer and smacked the window again and again. Cracks appeared in the glass and then spread quickly. The window blasted out into space and took along the disturbed man with it. He continued gyrating madly for a few seconds as he floated away. And still, final breath formed a cloud of ice crystals around him. It glittered magically in the station's lights. His stilled body glided off into the distance as they watched in stunned silence. Adney spoke first. Okay, that was fucked up. As they watched, the atmosphere vented from that wing of the station. Its meager puff vanished into space with just a sparkling faint haze of ice crystals. A few windows down, a fire went out. Well, he put the fire out, so that's a plus. Tokar, shocked and disgusted. Shut up. The guy just died in front of us. Show some respect. They continued walking and reached the end of the hall. A door marked Security and Operations. Tokars went to knock when behind them a sound grabbed their attention. A group of five crazed miners ran toward them from the other end of the hall, swinging hammers and other tools, some covered in blood. They screamed more gibberish and shrieked as if in terrible pain. Adney raised his steel rod up meekly, outnumbered. Well, this sucks. Behind them, the door opened. A serious-looking woman in a stained and bloody security outfit grabbed them. Get in here now. She dropped some of the enraged miners with searing blasts from her plasma pistol, each accompanied by the violent zap of organized lightning. It's our friend Ilyana, though she's now much worse for wear. Once they were inside, she closed and locked the door. Shortly afterward, a clanging and howling announced the arrival of more miners. Adney gestured toward the door. A friend of yours? She briefly glanced at him as one might an unwanted party guest. They entered the security office. It appeared hastily evacuated, no longer neat and orderly. 
Chairs had been spun and tipped over at odd angles. The guys dropped into chairs by Oyana's desk. She worked furiously at her terminal. Adney watched her, incredulous, then looked around the messy room. Housekeeping off today? She held a finger up for him to wait, banged away at her keyboard. Adney just became further annoyed. Oh yes, by all means, finish your memoirs. You've got all day. Oyana gave him a dirty look, finished up. All right, senior smartass. What if I told you I've been cut off from communications for three days due to the antenna link being down? I just got back from fixing it when I heard you clowns trying to get yourself killed. The men stopped in their tracks. Tokar snapped out of it first. Stephen J. Tokars, captain of the Interstellar Dynamics CSF Cogburn Supply Ship. We received a distress call and sped here to help. We underestimated the problem and were not prepared for the severity of the situation. Thank you for saving us. On my right is assistant clown, Vic Adney, my second. Ilyana shook his hand warmly, but quickly, then glanced disapprovingly at Adney again. Ilyana Vache, security chief. Adney displayed a sly grin. Well, perhaps. Tokars brought his hand up. Stow it. You can audition for the comedy show when you're back at your favorite brothel, if- 47 days ago, the miners found a sealed chamber with an odd graphic above the entry. Most people thought the graphic meant, keep the fuck out. A vocal minority was convinced it meant, enter here. And so they did, and they brought a strange artifact up from inside, despite strident advice to the contrary. Her hands typed noisily on a keyboard. A 3D image appeared in front of her. Miners triumphantly floated an object on an anti-grav pallet up from the mines below. The object was cylindrical, with three sharp points toward the top. Tokars drank eagerly from a water pouch while he watched the feed. The artifact was millions of years old, but they claimed it smelled of cardamom and sumac when it was opened. Old Middle Eastern earth spices? Adney was bored. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it smelled great. And then? Guessing the keep-the-fuck-out crowd did an epic I-told-you-so before being eaten. How did that museum piece lead to the current disaster on hand? That's where the mystery starts. The company's robot overlord queen sent some specialists here. They, they set up a cloak-and-dagger division, took over an entire floor along with mineshaft B47E. Two weeks ago, the violence started. Fights that kept growing, they, they couldn't be stopped. Eventually, the infected self-cannibalized to the point of chewing their own arms down to sharpen bones, as you saw. She typed some more. Images of mass insurrection and chaos played. Order broke down as the facility succumbed to the growing infection. Maniacal miners ingesting their own limbs, sharpening their exposed bones with their teeth. Tokars watched the images, disgusted. Was it something in the artifact? Some chemical that got released? Adney shook his head. Brain virus. Ilyana's face twisted. Knew, they didn't get to tell us. Things went from the frying pan to the fires of hell in the last few days. One day, five were infected. The next, maybe 15. But just a day later, it was thousands. Whatever it is, it took over fast. Tokar shook his head sadly. A COVID cloud. Adney looked up from a comic book he'd found. A what? Early 21st century. Large pandemic on Earth. 
city of Los Angeles had an atmospheric inversion weather system. The aerosolized virus reached a critical mass in the unmoving air above the city. Daily infections went from thousands to hundreds of thousands overnight. Nearly a million died in the next few weeks. Ilyana nodded soberly. It was all about a virus reaching a critical mass in the air that people shared. In LA, it, it crested due to the air there staying still over the city. Here, obviously, the air all goes through the same system, so it may have reached a similar concentration. And he said his comic down is finally sinking in. So we'll be dining on each other tonight. Ilyana they shook her head. They produced a serum, but there was nobody left to take control of its distribution. I received a dose, and we need to get you some. She pushed a few more keys. We injected everyone getting on an escape pod. Each pod carried dozens of doses. Her show and tell ended with images of the escape pods launching. So most of you got away, right? She again shook her head sadly. I wish I could say that they did. We got one pod loaded up. I even managed to get the other half on it. But as we went to fill the second pod, someone launched all the pods. Tokars was stunned, refused to believe her. What do you mean? You don't, you don't mean they were empty? That most of the people got left here? She nodded slowly. I had friends here. Of those left, most of the healthy have been eaten. Someone from corporate didn't want the story to escape, probably that robotic bitch, which meant that none of us could escape. With the truth, it was, it was to die with us. But the story, my girlfriend Andrea and the serum are all on pod number one. At this, Adney dropped his steel rod. Serum? You mean? Tokar's got to business. Do you have some here? Nope. She answered, pointing at the frozen image of the escape pod. It's all in there. Adney connected the dots. How long? How long do we have? They stared at her intensely. She shook her head. <laughs> like I know? The people near the thing didn't start getting loopy till days later, but recently it happened much faster. Uh, days? Hours? Uh, I don't know. Adney grabbed her arm. How do we get cured before that happens? He pointed at an image of a woman sharpening her arm bones. She chose her words carefully. Well, we've got two options. First, we fight our way into the secret wing, hope there's more of the serum, find it, and give it to you before we all get eaten. From the camera, I can see those scientists look really hungry. Adney shook his head. Well, that one sucks. Tokars had to nod in agreement. Option two? Liana looked them over. We fight our way back to the docks. We hope your ship is clear. We, we take off. We chase down and board the escape pod and get you one of the 300 doses that I loaded onto it. And the catch is? Unfortunately, they went radio silent shortly after launch. I may have heard some grunting in their last message. Adney wasn't sold. Ilyana shook her head again. Okay, with option one, is there any way to know if there's actually some serum still on the base? We'd have to fight our way in and do a room-to-room -room search, likely to involve hand-to-hand -hand combat, like a lot, after which point we would still need to progress to option two if we find nothing. They looked at each other. Let's get to the Cogburn. 
Agreed. Uh, but first, we need to pick up some of my people stuck in the mines below us. I understand one of the corporate scientists is down there. Speaking of the Cogburn, I heard one of them say the name right after I thought about it. They say a lot of things. Perhaps I should go first? She started to lead the way out into the hall. Adney grabbed her and held her back. Ilyana managed to combine scorn and annoyance. She barged past him. A few hours later, they had rescued 12 trap miners. All that was left of the corporate scientist was an arm and wrist comm unit, which they recovered. They reached the tunnels under the Cogburn. A rusty old spiral staircase rose in front of them, with a sign that read, Space Dock, an arrow pointing up. Tokars looked to Ilyana, both worse for wear. I'll go up first and lead the crazies away. Adney, you and Ilyana get the survivors to the Cogburn. Put the engines into rapid preheat. Do you always let him be the brave one? Adney looked away. Tokars climbed the rickety stairs, flipped the door open with a bang, and leaped out. The infected swarmed him. He eyed an anti-gravity pallet nearby, turned to Adney, and yelled. Get everyone to the ship, now! Tokars leapt on the anti-gravity pallet, grabbed the control board from his side pocket, and took off. He screamed to distract the infected miners. Hey! Hey, attention, hungry cannibals! Dinner served right this way! The starved and mindless horde followed him. Adney led the survivors to the ship as fast as they could move. Liana followed, plasma pistol at the ready. Tokars floated about 20 centimeters above the floor on the anti-grav. He rode it like a skateboard, and actually seemed to enjoy himself. When Tokar saw that Adney had everyone safely to the ship, he knew it was time to go, but needed to lose the crazies following him. He noticed a small side room with a sturdy steel door lying open. He crashed the pallet into the wall outside and jumped off. The enraged miners slashed their arms about, trying to get to him. Their razor-sharp bones glimmered in the vapor lights. He had a button arming the last explosive charge. It beeped a countdown. He dropped it, ducked into the side office, then yanked the heavy door shut behind him. See you in hell, fuckers. But as the seconds passed, he realized the charge must have been a dud. Now every infected miner within hearing range was outside the door, waiting for him. Hungry for him. Adney observed from the rear hatch of the Cogburn, well, that sucks. Ilyana watched with him. What's he doing now? She had a bleeding ankle and was leaning on the doorframe to stay up. Adney shook his head, unhappy. Something didn't go as planned. A dud interstellar dynamics mining charge? Second-rate stuff. You delivered them. One of the other survivors, an entitled young man, standing behind them, spoke up. Let's just go. We've been stuck here for days. It's time to get the hell out. Wrong. He bolted out of the ship and into the dock area. He ran to the plasma fuel connector, unhooked it from the ship, and dragged it toward the group of miners. The survivor spoke up again. Who the hell put him in charge? Ilyana didn't even look at him, just motioned with the plasma pistol. Help him or go sit in the hold, silently. 
far from the Cogburn, Adney loudly kicked over some metal containers. The mob turned and came for him. They left Tokars and chased Adney, screaming in pain and hunger. Tokars watched, cautiously opened the door and sprinted for the Cogburn. The infected were just a few meters from catching Adney. Adney whipped a screwdriver from his back pocket and jammed it into the safety lock on the plasma connector. He worked the side lever and aimed for the massive infected headed for him. Plasma connector wouldn't release. Nothing happened. Oh, for fuck's sake. A dozen deranged miners closed in. Tokars passed him and continued for the ship. Come on, man. Time to go. Adney jimmied the screwdriver some more in the safety lock. Suddenly, a stream of liquid plasma shot out. Normally held to the massive pressure, the plasma burst into a superheated jet of flame. The infected were mowed down in withering fire, melted before they reached the floor. The survivors watched in awe. Above them, foam suppression jets activated and fire and sounded. Adney closed the valve on the plasma hose, his fingers scorched and blistered on the red-hot metal. Everything in front of him was now in flames. He looked back to the ship and ran. A few partially burned infected got back up and rejoined the chase, blackened, some still on fire but blissfully unaware. Adney looked back. He couldn't believe it. Oh, for fuck's sake, don't you know you're burning? They gained on him every step. He wasn't going to make it. One of the infected reached a gnawed hand out for Adney. Finger bones poked out from loosely dangling skin, centimeters away. Whap, whap. Shots from a plasma pistol rang out and dropped the infected. Ilyana had stopped each of the flaming ghouls that chased Adney. The effort took all her remaining strength. She fell inside the ship. As soon as they were all inside, Adney hit close, and the hatch began to shut. Inside the space dock area, a door from the station opened. A dozen more infected burst out. Adney screamed. Who let them out? They lurched unsteadily for the Cogburn, but the ship's rear hatch closed just in time. Tokars was thrilled with his rescue. I knew you wouldn't leave me to die. They worked their way to the cockpit. The rescued survivors were made comfortable in the hold. Adney grabbed a microphone and told everyone to be seated for launch. They eagerly blasted off from the infested mining base G08. Ileana looked around the Cogburn's cockpit, amazed. Wow, and I thought G08 was a dump. Tokar smiled, too happy to be flying away from the base to care. If it wasn't for the Cogburn, you wouldn't have had the delicious steak in a tube, lab-grown just for you. Or the toilet paper needed quickly after. Tokar shook his head, embarrassed by his friend, as usual. How's the transponder signal from the escape pod? Adney worked the controls. Numbers flashed in the air, then flickered out. He kicked the console hard. Numbers reappeared. We'll catch up in seven hours. Could be sooner if they'd answer comms and turn back, or at least slow down. 
They'd been worried about this lack of response from the pod. Ilyana explained that it might have suffered radio failure after launch. The deep space antennas were weak and known to break off. But they all knew it was more likely that the pod was now full of screaming lunatics. Lunatics well past rescue. As the Cogburn blasted into the dark of space, a tall man in a full spacesuit stepped out into the dock area. He raised his comm sleeve and spoke to it. An angry face floated in front of him, not quite human, not quite a robot. The CEO of Interstellar Dynamics looked displeased across light years of space. The sergeant shook his head. Stop them. The story doesn't get out, Sergeant. He found that once again he had trouble looking her projected image in the face. He knew she was a cyborg, but somehow he always felt he was talking to an insect. We need it back in so we can control it. We've got way too much invested in this to give up now. Do it. Viola dictated. Everyone here on Earth is counting on you. I'm sure your family is too. He didn't show the slightest irritation at her threat, but waved the feed closed. He blasted one more infected into oblivion before walking off. Back on the Cogburn, Adney got panicky. You never answered the important question, he pointed out. Ilyana knew exactly what he meant. Once it got out, everyone who didn't get the serum fell to it. You need to get a dose. Tokars considered this. Adney, let's do 115% on the engines. Adney massaged the controls in front of him and looked over the numbers. 110% is the best we're going to do. The converters are a T-Max already. Ahead of them, the escape pods screamed through space, going nowhere in particular at full speed. Inside, the 47 survivors had worries of their own. They had eagerly given each other the serum and were all quite well. Unfortunately, the same could not be said of the pilot and co-pilot. Locked in the cockpit, they had never gotten the serum and had turned into slavering maniacs. Through the small glass hatch, the healthy escapees could watch as they morphed into radically different beings. They had chewed their own arms down to sharpened swords. Now they were desperately trying to get at the crew. They were supposed to steward to safety. They slashed madly, hungrily at the small window whenever anyone looked through it. Andrea and the others debated what to do, terrified of opening the door, but in need of taking control of the ship before it ran out of fuel or they ran out of food. They had believed that the company would come rescue them, but rescue wasn't coming. Certainly they should have heard something on the emergency radio and should have easily picked up someone, anyone, by now. There had even been talk that perhaps someone at the company had jammed the radio, as mining stations Geo-7 and Geo-9 had not answered their calls, despite being well within range. 
Andrea took another look at the plasma pistol. She'd gotten pretty good with it during their escape from the base, but now it was down to three pulses, which wouldn't leave her much opportunity for mistakes, especially since she had the only gun in the escape pod. She stared at the cockpit open button. Everyone in the escape pod wanted her to try, but were afraid. If she couldn't take out both of the infected pilots with her three shots, there was no stopping them. Most, if not all, of the rest of them would be sliced to shreds. The angst was building. The pressure was really on as they sped madly out into empty space, further from rescue with each passing second. She had to do something. Everyone, get to the back! Once they were as far as possible, she hit the button and stepped back. The pilot lurched out first, slashing and screaming. Her first shot missed, down to two remaining, just as the saber-like arm came forward. She blew his gyrating head right off with a squeeze of the trigger and a puff of smoke. He hadn't even hit the floor yet when the co-pilot made his move, but tripped over the freshly dead pilot. Flailing on the floor, he slashed her leg badly before she vaporized his brain. Blood loss caused her to drop to the floor. A man ran up and tied his jacket hastily around her injured thigh. Who can fly this thing? Get in here and hit the brakes! She yelled, braver than she'd been a day before. Adney called for Tokar's Nilyana. The escape pod had just changed speed. It had fired reverse thrust and was decelerating. They were ecstatic. Insane must be at the controls. They should be able to catch it and board soon. But what would they find? Tokars was thrilled, yet Adney matched the craft's speed and maneuver in to meet the docking hatches. Liliana looked around the cabin. Do you have any weapons on board? Adney got his battered and bent steel rod out. Anything else? Liliana grimaced. Adney smiled. I think Tokars has a nice, old-fashioned pipe wrench, but it smells pretty bad. The head had a nasty leak after we left Geo 6. As they matched the crafts up, they were unable to see in the port window. Liliana took point. A plasma pistol aimed at the door. As Tokars hit the last key command, the door opened. A condensation mist gathered at the opening. Dark shapes burst through. Liliana aimed carefully, her hand shaking just a tiny bit. Through the mist, she saw a fluorescent green jacket. It was her Andrea, but still she aimed. She needed to be sure. But when she saw the smile, she knew it was all right. Andrea led a group of more survivors. She was amazed and stunned to see Ilyana in the rescue craft. These were happy moments until Andrea collapsed from exhaustion and blood loss. Ilyana and Tokars rushed her to the med machine and got her mended. Soon they were all gathered in the hold of the Cogburn, enjoying a feast of lab-grown meat and vegetables, fresh from the shipping tubes. The mood was good, everyone excited and imagining a return to Earth life, 
while the mess on GO8 got cleared up. They heard the tale of how the pod had ended up with two infected pilots and no way to get to the controls. How and why the pilots got sick with a locked cabin door was a mystery. Andrea had just three pulses left in her plasma pistol for the crisis. Liliana was especially interested in how she had solved this. I was the only one with the gun. Andrea smiled and held up the pistol. The counter read zero. Ilyana was amazed. You promised we'd see each other again, and I made sure. They hugged again and noticed they both had similar injuries. The party in the hold continued. They located a case of wine meant for the secret scientists on B47E. It was made from real grapes going from Seoul, the star of Earth. Most of them had never had the real stuff before. Ilyana grabbed a bottle, looked at the label. It's not a 30-year-old Shiraz, but it'll do. They snuck off for a few private moments behind a shelf of electronic shovels. They giggled, the luckiest two people in the universe in that moment. Everyone was relieved and had a great time. Nobody was there in the cockpit to see the urgent red light blinking on the Cogburn's comm console or the auto-destruct light flashing in the escape pod. If you like today's recording, please like and favorite us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find us at coffeecontrails.com. Thanks.